But let's go ahead and begin class with prayer this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together this Sabbath day and study about your word. We pray that your spirit will be with us, your angels will join us, that we, you may be the focus of our attention, our affections, and our love today. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. We are doing lesson number eight in the quarterly the, uh, Christian life, and the lesson this week is entitled Rest. And if somebody could read the memory text for us this morning on rest. Now, if you hear that memory test, what, what thoughts come to mind? What do you think about? What do you think that means? The meaning of that text. The Sabbath is made to meet the needs of man, not man to meet the needs of the Sabbath. Okay, the Sabbath is made to meet the needs of man, not man the needs of the Sabbath. Well, let's read the first paragraph there in Sabbath's lesson. If there is anything. Somebody read that for us. If there is anything in the Christian faith relevant for peoples living in the beginning of the 21st century, it is the Sabbath. It is a medicine badly needed by millions in societies plagued by stress, heart problems, and burnouts. It offers escape from the never-ending pressures of modern life. It provides a possibility to recharge our empty batteries and to refocus on the real principal priorities in life. The Sabbath tells us that there is a time to close the door of our home, of our mind, to the clutter and noise of the world and to come into the presence of the one who made us and who knows what we need. And as I read that paragraph in light of the very first uh, memory verse there that Sabbath was made for man, the question that came to my mind was, did God give Adam and Eve the Sabbath for the reasons outlined in the paragraph? No. Interesting, isn't it? So, if the Sabbath was made for man, what was the reason that it was given to Adam and Eve? Fellowship. Fellowship. And he came to visit them in the cool of the Sabbath. He didn't visit on the cool of the everyday. So there was only fellowship on the Sabbath. So then how does the Sabbath, you know, given for fellowship if he's fellowshipping every day? It was a deeper fellowship, a deeper relationship. So help us understand how on Sabbath their relationship takes a deeper level than any other day of the week they're spending time face-to-face with God. Why would it be deeper on the Sabbath than any other day of the week? If you're, if you're spending one-on-one time with God, what is it about the Sabbath that somehow we can now go deeper than we could have any other day? Well, the Sabbath particularly, he wanted them to stop and consider his creation, his love for them, um, in, a, in a special way more than during the week. They, they didn't have to do their labor. They could just stop and have that rest not from physical labor, but from doing their own thing and spend the time with God. I like those thoughts. We're going to explore those more just in a second. Uh, Back to this question. If Sabbath was made for man, and we're going to bleed the words of the Lord here, if the Sabbath was made for man, was there a Sabbath before man? No. No. You have to put it in the context of the war that was up in heaven before is really what brings it more meaning if you put it in that bigger context. Okay, so you, if the Sabbath wasn't there before man, then why was the Sabbath made? What, why was it needed? What was the context? Why did mankind need it even before Adam sinned? And you're saying because of the war. 
Maybe they didn't need it as just more of a commemoration of, of God as a creator, who he is, what he is, and to keep him principle in the life. I mean, if we've got six days to focus on other areas of life, it doesn't mean we're not communicating with God, but in those six days we can focus on some of our own interests. But David is more of a commemoration. It's a, a birthday is a commemorative day, a liberation day is a commemorative day. It's a time where it's a time of reflection. And, uh, an acknowledgement. And as we think about it in that way, reflection and acknowledgement specifically of what? And why was it needed? Why was a day needed to commemorate, to reflect, to acknowledge? If it wasn't in existence before man, and we have every reason to believe that there were intelligent beings in existence before man, don't we? Then why at this point in universal history did a day for reflection and acknowledgement of God become needed? Because of Satan's accusations against God, because of lies told about God, because of what was happening in the universe. There were suddenly God's goodness, his, his, his holiness, his reliability, his trustworthiness, uh, our, our, you know, his, his right to be sovereign. All these things were being called into question, weren't they? Well, yes and no, because if our belief is that only when the new earth takes place, and we come and meet not only new moons but on Sabbath. The war has ended. Do we need to contemplate or think about the possibilities of what may take place? Not going to happen again. So why won't they happen again? Because all the questions have been answered. Because all the questions have been answered, and and everyone has decided, and. We come together every Sabbath and remember what happened, what transpired, what Christ achieved, the purpose of the cross, what God went through, what the issues were. We never forget the victory that Christ won on this planet. That's why the Sabbath will always be perpetual into the future, because it will be a weekly reminder and it will protect us from the all future forward that this will never rise again because the questions will have been fully answered, the issues fully resolved, and everyone rejoices in God. Have you ever heard that the cross will be our science and song for all future eternity? We'll never stop reflecting on the meaning and implication of what Christ achieved at the cross. And so, why though? Why was it not needed? Well, because it didn't need, the cross wasn't needed until sin, the Sabbath wasn't needed until sin. Yes? Consider that first Sabbath, when you know, all the animals have been named, Adam and Eve aren't tired, what rest do they need? Perhaps God came and explained to them the allegations that have been made against his character, and warned them about an enemy that might try to trip them up, and he tells them, I've given you this day to ponder the works of creation, and ponder these issues, and I'm leaving you free to decide. I'm going to read from one of the founders of our church, following up what you said, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 48, and says this, along these questions of Sabbath and paradise. God saw a Sabbath was essential for man, even in paradise. He needed to lay aside his own interests and pursue for one day of seven that he might more fully contemplate the works of God and meditate upon his power and goodness. He needed a Sabbath to remind him more vividly of God and to awaken gratitude because all that he enjoyed and possessed came from the beneficent hand of the Creator. 
God designed that the Sabbath shall direct the minds of men to the contemplation of his created works. Nature speaks to their senses, declaring that there is a living God, the creator, the supreme ruler of all. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech, and night unto night, showing knowledge, Psalms 19, 1 and 2. The beauty that clothes the earth is token of God's love. We may behold it in the everlasting hills, in the lofty trees, in the opening bud, in the delicate flowers. All speak to us of God. The Sabbath, ever pointing to him who made them all, bids men open the great books of nature and trace therein the wisdom, power, and the love of the Creator. So, in, in these couple of paragraphs, there are specific reasons cited why, why in paradise, why before sin, the Sabbath was needed. And it's not the reasons we read in the quarterly that, that today we need to come aside and we're exhausted and we're fatigued and we need to put away the busy hustle bustle of the world. No, there's reasons here given in paradise. Did anybody hear them? What were the reasons given? Lay aside one's own interest, specifically said, need to lay aside self-interest or own interest, need to contemplate the works and created works of God, meditate upon his power and his goodness, remind man of God and awaken gratitude to God, and trace God's wisdom, power, and love. What issue is going on here that the Sabbath was purposed for? As you, as you hear all these things listed here, what would you say, well, the purpose of the Sabbath then was to bring men to a knowledge of God, a greater knowledge, awareness of Him. Why was that purpose needed at this point in universal history? It's only in the context of the war that God's character is being obstructed. The truth about God's nature is being obscured. That God gave the Sabbath as a blessing to enhance our ability to see through, to, to put aside self-interest. Let's walk through these, these through one at a time. He needed to lay aside his own interest. Why was this needed? Well, what is the root of Satan's rebellion? Satan's rebellion was going on in the universe already. What was the root of it? Selfishness, self-exaltation. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, talking about Lucifer. How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, you son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. What is, what is going on here? What's being described in Lucifer's heart? Self-exaltation, self-promotion. And then from Desire of Ages 21, in the first here, we're going to get a, a sense, an insight into what God's law is. And I want you to notice how she describes God's law. And then we're going to get what Lucifer did. By turning from all lesser representations, we behold God in Jesus. Looking into Jesus, we see that it is his glory of, of our God to give. I do nothing of myself, said Christ. The living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father. I seek not my own glory, but the glory of him who sent me. In these words is set forth the great principle, which is the law of life for the universe. All things Christ received from God, but he took to give. So in the heavenly courts, in his ministry for all created beings, through the beloved Son, the Father's life flows out to all. Through the Son it returns in praise and joyous service, a tide of love, the great source of all. And thus through Christ the circuit of beneficence is complete, representing the character of the great giver, the law of life. What is the law of life here described? 
Love, giving, other-centeredness, divesting oneself of self to build up others. This is the law that life is designed upon. Now, the very next paragraph. In heaven itself, this law was broken. Which law? The law of love. Sin originated in self-seeking. Lucifer, the covering cherub, desired to be first in heaven. He sought to gain control of heavenly beings, to draw them away from their creator, and to win their homage to himself. Therefore, he misrepresented God, attributing to him the desire for self-exaltation. With his own evil characteristics, he sought to invest the loving creator. Thus he deceived angels, thus he deceived men. He led them to doubt the word of God and distrust his goodness, So what are we seeing here? God is a God of love, beneficence, giving. This is the principle that life is created to operate upon, and sin originated in promoting self rather than sacrificing self to promote others. This is the antagonistic war going on, and then Satan twists God's character and alleges God is self-promoting being. God is a self-exalting being, and that then led angels and men to follow in the wake of rebellion. So sin originated in self-seeking. Does the Sabbath in this context, have benefit to protect Adam and Eve from self-exaltation? Yes or no? How so? How was the Sabbath designed to protect Adam and Eve as a blessing to them, made for them, if it would have been practiced in the way God designed? How would it have been a hedge to them to protect them from self-exaltation? By stepping back and studying the nature, the love, the wisdom, the power of God, what would they have learned? They would have seen that God doesn't take because he's selfish. God isn't self-exalting, self-promoting, dictatorial. God is gracious, giving, blessing, always looking out for the welfare of others. They would have taken the Sabbath and really uh, applied it as God designed. They would have grown in grace and love and knowledge of God, which would have protected them from the lies. They also would have recognized, because recognize this, Adam and Eve had power to create, did they not? We call it procreate, but they had power to create beings in their image. They also had given dominion, authority to govern. They were really in God's image, like little gods in their own world. They had a world that they could rule over and create beings and bring into this world in their own right. Do you think this could be a temptation to self-exaltation? Yeah, Lucifer didn't have those abilities as far as we know. He couldn't make kids, and he didn't have a dominion to rule. And he became self-exalted. So the Sabbath, here's this new creation now with powers beyond Lucifer's. Was the Sabbath a protection to remind you every week you're a created being. You came out of dust. You came from the dirt. You didn't get here on your own. Your life is, your life is an extension from God. He's giving you and sustaining everything you have. Would the Sabbath protect them from becoming too full of themselves and thinking that they, they are all that? Well, I think it's interesting, Tim, that you because this first paragraph that we read earlier does say, you know, it really is of self-interest because we can exhaust ourselves in six days and then we're like, oh, good, I'm glad the Sabbath is here because now I can rest. Well, it is of self-interest then because if we exhaust ourselves during the week and we don't pay attention to God even during the week, then the Sabbath is really more of self-interest. Yes. That's very true. What's interesting is that God knows things about us because uh, he wrote the manual and uh, he, he designed us. And what he knows is that it is in our self-interest to spend a tremendous amount of energy and time focused on something other than ourselves. 
And so, and so, um, you can take, you can, you can state it in any way that you you choose. But uh, yes, it is for our self-interest and for our good and our blessing. And it, the Sabbath is made for man. And God knows that we will be so greatly blessed and benefited and rested and renewed and rejuvenated and any other word you can choose to throw in there when we take that time to focus in a different direction and he happens to know that the best way to do that is to focus on others and yourself. Now I appreciate these two comments because if, if you all were hearing those carefully they've, they've, they've raised a subtle a subtle discrepancy between this one which can be virtuous and healthy and one which can be destructive in keeping the Sabbath. See, the reality is, when we follow God's methods for our life and we love other people more than ourselves and, and do these things that God describes, there is a reward to us. We get healthier, we get happier, we have more peace. But if our motive for doing it is for self, like we keep the Sabbath so we can be righteous, we can have the seal of God, we are the special chosen people, we are the remnant, we have, a, we have an inside track to heaven, we're resting because we are it, like the Pharisees in Christ's day. Then instead of getting more Christ-like, we become more evil and we'll crucify the Lord of the Sabbath because we're doing it for self. And so, yes, while it's true what you said, there is a self-benefit that comes from truly following God's methods. We do get healthier and happier. If our motive for seeking it is to exalt and promote self, we won't get that blessing. Is that not right? Yeah, so I'm glad you all pointed that out. Um, Russell? Uh, you may be getting to this later, but how do we explain these truths to someone who keeps Sunday with the, with the same motivation that God intended? Yeah, we're not even there yet. Okay, and, and, and I want to, I want us to really get a grapple on because what happens with most of the things that we study, like the Sabbath included, we do just what the quarterly did. We pick it up midstream of human history and talk about how it's applicable to our lives today, and we fail to understand its origin and its original purpose. And I really want us to get our mind around when God gave the Sabbath, He gave it in a world without sin. As far as the, the human race had not sinned, sin was in the universe. Lucifer rebelled, but the human. The humans that it was created for, the Sabbath was made for man, and it was made for man before man himself was sinful. And we need to get our mind around the benefits it was designed for, for man. And one of those benefits we've gone through is that it protects from self-seeking. It protects from self or, uh, self-promotion, from self-exaltation, because it keeps us un- in that relationship with God, recognizing that all things flow from him, and we see God in that right relationship. Yes? Isaiah 58 really speaks directly to that as he talks about not seeking your own pleasure on his day and really giving back to God on, on the day he's created. So we make it, we honor his day uh, and honor him. So he gives the day and we give back by inviting ourselves in him on that day. What did Satan allege of God? And we read it a moment ago. That God was self-exalting. That God was self-promoting. What does the Sabbath reveal? Does the Sabbath, in its creation, in Eden, in perfection, say anything that refutes that? That God is self-promoting. All of creation was for man's benefit, not for God's benefit. What do we learn about God? You're an angel in heaven. And of course it tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 that the earth is a lesson book to angels, a theater to angels and to men. They're all looking down watching lessons here in this context. And God creates on this planet. What do the angels learn about God on day one? Let there be light. That he's powerful. 
What did he learn on day two? Firmament. That day three, he starts bringing in new life. Day four, day five, day six. What are they learning about God? That he's powerful. What do they learn about God on day seven? That he steps back and allows us to choose whether we want to spend time with him or not. Or even, he says, hey, look and see what, what has been done. He didn't do anything on that day. I mean, this, this, is, this is the point. I mean, notice very carefully. One of the reasons, and we're, we're going to come to the question here in a minute, why Sabbath is holy. Be thinking in your mind, why is the Sabbath holy? We're going to spend some time on that. It's in the lesson this week. What makes the Sabbath holy? Think that through in the context of what we're saying here. But God is uh, self-exalting. The Sabbath shows just the opposite. He steps back and gives this time for intelligent creatures to rest and think and come to their own conclusions without pressure and coercion. Let me ask you a question. In the very beginning, the gentleman over there said um, this was a time to commune with God. And he kept saying, but we commune with him during the week. And then, but what makes it special on the Sabbath? Well, we commune with him even deeper on the Sabbath day. It's not just that, then. It's not just a communion with him. It's He leaves us free to choose what, whether this is what he, we really want. Again, he's given us a healthy mind to make our own decisions. So if you take that whole concept of self-interest, that we are to lay that aside on the Sabbath and think about what God did, what he's done for us, you know, all throughout history, then you become more, um, more in alignment with his unselfish nature. So it is, in fact, a deeper relationship with God because you're maybe even doing acts of service during that day. But it's uh, a deeper fellowship, I believe, as well. But I, I'm just trying to wonder, I'm just trying to think, what else were you trying to get at? It's not just a deeper communication on the Sabbath. I didn't know if I wanted to go here quite yet. <laughs> but this is a great question. This is a great question. And the issue would be, when we understand the true meaning of the Sabbath, its purpose in creation as it was made for man. Why? Why did God see the need for the Sabbath to be made for man in this context? Then it opens our minds to a greater perspective of what he was dealing with in the universe, his nature, his methods of achieving things. You notice God doesn't achieve things through the exercise of might and power, Zechariah 4, not by might nor by power, but by the way the Spirit works. He achieves things through the the revelation of truth presented in love leaving people free and the sabbath then when we understand these dynamics we see whoa this is a god who's all powerful but he's not threatening me with his power he's not saying you better get in line or else he's saying hey i'm going to give you the truth and then i'm going to actually provide everything that you need to come to your own conclusion to trust me i'm your friend i'm on your side and when we understand that then we can have that deeper communion because we have deeper insights into his character which the sabbath itself provides for us in the purpose of its existence not in the fact that we simply avoid work in a certain 24-hour period of the weekly cycle. Tim, uh, I grew up in an era when <coughs> this Isaiah 58 verse about doing God's pleasure, not your own pleasure, was used as an excuse not to do anything because everything was wrong if it was not God's pleasure and your own pleasure had to be wrong. So well, most of the time we had to just sit around and read Bibles. We couldn't really, uh, sleeping was okay because we were resting. <laughs> we call that lay activities. But I think that 
on Sabbath, it should be a pleasure to you also to keep the Sabbath and not use that verse to say, don't do this and don't do that and turn you away from the Sabbath. So it should be a pleasure. Well, actually, the verse says that. It says, if you don't call the Sabbath a delight. So if you're not delighting in the Sabbath personally, then you're not observing the Sabbath. You're not experiencing from the Sabbath what God designed for it to be for man. It is to be a delight to us. Yes. The way I'm going to tie some of this together and address what, what you were speaking to is Dennis and I are getting ready to celebrate our 30th anniversary on Wednesday. Um, when we married, we married at 8 o'clock on May 13th, 1979. Our commitment was no different to each other on 7.55 that night than it was at 8.20 when the pastor pronounced us man and wife. But a, an actual physical representation occurred of a very important spiritual concept in our minds. And I think that is part of what Sabbath is. It's an actual physical representation in time. It's an actual physical point in time where God demonstrates a very important spiritual concept of his character. When we go back and remember that, that reality occurs every seventh day. We remember who God is, what he's like, what he did at creation. Just like on May 13th, we choose to go back and remember that because it's connected to an actual event in reality. Uh-oh. <laughs> No, I'm processing on what you said. There's a lot of hands, and I really want to, want to get to a couple other points here. about uh, It said, meditating upon God's power, in that quote that we read. One of the purposes of the Sabbath was to meditate upon his power and goodness. What is ultimately God's power? Love. Service. Love, service, beneficence. When we think of God's power, we often think of just the power to create, the, the power of, of the, the controlling of nature. Um, this is out of a book um, called Discovering the Character of God by George MacDonald. And it says, what is the deepest in God? His power? No, for power could not make him what we mean when we say God. A being whose essence was only power would be such a negation of the divine that no righteous worship could be offered him. His service would be only fear. Do you all follow that? If, his, if, his, if he was just a being of power energy, force, but he wasn't a being of love, then he wouldn't deserve our worship. We would only be afraid of him, always. Um, Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew and then for the Gentile. What is it that is the power of God? According to Paul? The gospel. What is the gospel? The good news about, which is the truth, which destroys the lies, which sets us free. So the power of God is more than just physical power and might. It is the power of his character of love, which wins us back to trust and love. Um, Does the Sabbath say anything about the good news or the gospel? Does it? What does the Sabbath say about the gospel? Well, if you just read that in Exodus, it tells you only one thing not to do, and that's not work. It doesn't tell you about the other things. It's, it's interesting, as I was just reading it here, it, it actually tells us it's not even our day. It's the day of the Lord. It's, it's God's day. It's not
or, or barter with. It's, it's the day of the Lord. And it appears to me that it's a protective shield to stop us from becoming selfish because as our parent, God wants to bless. He wants to abundantly bless more than anything else. And so he has blessed us with a day that is not ours. And he says here that uh, in it, you're not to work on anybody that works for you, etc., not even the creatures. So it appears to me that if we didn't have that day, if God didn't bless us with a day that's not even ours to, uh, to enter into the discussion with what we can and can't do, it's to protect us from becoming extremely selfish and self-focused, which is what happened to Lucifer. Maybe yeah. he didn't have that day that we discussed before, which helped turn him around to focus predominantly on where God came from and, and our relationship to him and the love that all, all of it's all encompassed in that. So if we have the day that he created that is his day, not our day, it protects us from becoming self-centered. I think of a group of people 2,000 years ago who had that day, and they watched it and observed it and protected it very carefully because it wasn't their day. They had no rights to do anything on that day. It was God's day. And therefore, they were very angry at a young rabbi who began healing and teaching and preaching on that day, and so they killed that rabbi. Is that because they set up a whole stack of rules to make sure they... Well, the they, they had the day, and they wanted to be sure it was kept. And as Christians, we've done something similar as we go back a number of years where we come into Sabbath school and we tick boxes. Persons help, articles of clothing given away. And we would also tick boxes to make sure that we were where we should be. And maybe the Jews back in those days tick boxes. But Christ goes on to say, isn't it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? That really opens it up. Did they know which day of the week was the Sabbath? Yeah. Did they avoid work? The one thing that the, that you said, this commandment says not to do, did they do it? Did they avoid the work? Yes. Were they blessed then by the Sabbath? You see, Sabbath keeping is much more than avoiding work and going to church on a 24-hour period. We're trying to... We're trying to dig in and discover what this real meaning is. Yes, over here. This is what came to my mind, and you can tell me if this is an appropriate thought for the moment, but I have to remind myself that God made the day holy. There's really nothing I can do to make it more holy or less holy. God blessed the day and made it holy. All right, Len, we're going to come to that. That's actually in the notes today, so that's a good thought. And I want to see what is it that makes it holy. The first question in Sunday's lesson, if you turn to Sunday's lesson, it says, why did God himself rest on the seventh day after the creation of this world? Why, why did God rest? Was God tired? No. So this was not rest of fatigue. So when we think of Sabbath rest, as the quarterly pointed out in the first paragraph we read, it was talking about this kind of rest because we're worn out from weeks' work and all this kind of stuff. We need to take time. But God wasn't worn out. Was Adam and Eve worn out? No. Uh, so what kind of rest then is this? If there's a different kind of rest, it's not the rest from work. What kind of rest is it? Rest in his case. Oh, you mean as a lawyer, after presenting the evidence of his case, say, I rest my case. Is that... Is, is that a type of rest? I want the part that says, cease from your works. Cease from your works. This is out of Desire of Ages, page 19. It says, by coming to dwell with us, Jesus was to reveal God both to men and to angels. He was the word of God, God's thoughts made audible. In his prayer before his disciples, he said, I have declared unto them thy name, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant with goodness and truth, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. 
But not alone for his earthborn children was this revelation given. Our little world is a lesson book to the universe. God's wonderful purpose of grace, the mystery of redeeming love, is the theme into which angels desire to look. And it will be their study throughout an endless ages. Both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ their science and their song. It will be seen that the glory shining from the face of Christ is the glory of self-sacrificing love. It is a light from Calvary. In the light from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of self-renouncing love is the law of life for the earth and heaven, that the love which seeks not her own has its source in the heart of God, and that the meek and lowly one manifested the character of him who dwells in the light which no one can approach. In the beginning, God was revealed in all the works of creation. It was Christ that spread the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. It was his hands that hung the worlds in space and fashioned the flowers of the field. His strength set us fast the mountains. The sea is is his, and he made it, Psalm 65, 6, and 95, 5. It was he that filled the earth with beauty, and the air with song, and upon all, all the earth and air and sky, he wrote the message of the Father's love. Do we see a connection here? What, what was, who was watching? Who was watching during creation week? Yes. And what do we see in the beginning? God was revealed in all his works of creation. And the law of life is the law of? And it has its source where? Where does it originate? So when they're looking at creation that Christ is making on this planet, who are, who are they supposed to be learning about? They're supposed to be seeing the heart of God. The heart of God was to be revealed in the creation of this planet. And where is that summed up most powerfully? Ultimately, in, in day six, we'll make man in our image, and then immediately following the Sabbath. Monday's lesson. Somebody read the first paragraph, Monday's lesson. The word holy occurs in the Bible in different settings. People are sometimes referred to as holy, so are objects or time periods. The core meaning is, quote, to set aside for a specific use. Priests were holy people because they were singled out for service in the sanctuary. They handled holy vessels and instruments, which were withdrawn from secular use for specific ritual purpose. Similarly, holy days are marked by God for a specific purpose. Once they have been singled out as holy, they are no longer available for common use because they have been destined for a higher purpose. The activities on such holy days must correspond with the purpose God has attached to such days. First question, is God holy? I heard two yeses. Is God holy? Does that mean he's set apart for a specific use? Well, that's the definition here. Holy means being set apart for a specific use. So we've set God apart for a specific use if he's holy. No, wait a minute. I don't think I'm liking that definition quite so well. Um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What makes the Sabbath day holy? The question asked over here earlier. What makes it holy? Is something holy merely by an arbitrary declaration by God? Or is there something inherent within that makes it holy? Were there, were there any other days in the Jewish... Yeah, there were lots of holy days. Yep, they had, the Passover was a holy day. Um, all the feast days were holy days. Yes. And then there's the weekly Sabbath as a holy day. Um, second paragraph, as we're thinking about this, the second paragraph. 
It says the Sabbath is a powerful testimony to the sovereignty of God. Only he can create and only he can make something holy. This is why Adventists object so strongly to the change from Sabbath to Sunday as the Christian day of rest and worship. Without a clear divine mandate, such a, such a development is nothing less than an affront to God. Question. Does this author sound like he believes that, the, that God could, with a divine mandate, change the holiness if he wanted to? Can he? Can God, by mandates, change holiness or make things holy by mandates? Can God give a mandate by a declarative mandate from heaven that makes Satan holy? Can God give a mandate that makes molesting children holy? Can God give a mandate that makes pornography holy? Are things made holy by mandates from God? That's what the author suggests. Mandates make things holy. Yes? Uh, that's kind of a trick question. To me, it's tied back to the... You, you were asking about whether God was set aside, set apart for a specific purpose, so was he holy or not? Well, I could argue that the answer to that question could be yes, because God, who, who is all-powerful, has set himself aside to only rule with love, and he has limited himself in many ways because... Uh, because that's part of his character and, and how he wants to share himself with, with all of us. Pause. When you say set aside or limit himself, that is different than that is part of his character. Because if he is love, then there is no setting aside or limitation. That's who he actually is. He is that in the fullness of himself. So there's no limitation or setting aside. So as soon as we start describing a setting aside or limiting, then we're describing that he is something other than that, except to the degree that he limits himself to function in that way. But he's not. God is love. And in fact, a subtle deception enters our thinking. When I present the concepts of God as love, there's often people will come to me and say, God is not only loving, he's also just. And when they say that, they've just diminished God and introduced a lie. And here's the lie. All of us in this room can be loving. We can be loving. But are we love? No, the Bible doesn't say God is loving. The Bible says God is love. That's who he is. And when we change it from him being love to him being loving, we have diminished him significantly to our level. And this little lie gets introduced, so then we can then add the other little lie in. He's not just loving, he's also just, as if justice is something other than love, which it's not. And so these are the little ways we dissect God down from his infinite self to something smaller that we're more comfortable with. And so I would suggest to you we could not argue that God is set apart. We would argue that God is the source of all, not set apart, but he is the source of all. Everything exists because of him, emanates from him. Love has its origination in his heart. That's who he is. Maybe there could have been better word choices, but we all make decisions. Who we, who we are. God chooses to, to behave himself in a certain way because of his character. I mean, however you choose to say it, he has power that he does not use in certain ways because of who he is. There, that's different than because he chooses not to. He's got choice too. It says that there's certain things God can't do, actually. The Bible says certain things God cannot do. Cannot, cannot do. 
not chooses not to do it, cannot do it. One, he cannot lie. He cannot be tempted by evil. There are limits. God cannot do these things because they are inherently polar opposite to his own being and, and identity. We, tr- we limit that and say God is love, but he could choose to be something else. No, he couldn't. That's who he is. Anyway, so back to this here, this thing, this mandate about holiness. This mandate about holiness. You have a question over here? Um, yeah, I was just coming back to what you were saying about holy. Um, is, are you saying that there are certain things that are inherently holy that, that don't really um, relate to whether he made it holy or not? Is that what you're saying? That's where we're going. We're exploring that question right now. That's exactly what we're discussing. Yes. What is the problem with the idea or positions that make holiness of the Sabbath dependent upon a mandate from God? Let's, let's deal with that question. We'll come back to what actually where the holiness originates. If we take the position that holiness of the Sabbath is there because God commanded it or declared it or arbitrarily imposed it or mandated it, if, if we take that position, what is the problem that arises if that is the reason why the Sabbath is holy? It can be changed in his will. Okay, it can be changed. So as the author implies, we object because without a clear divine mandate, such development is nothing less than an affront to God. So now we have Christ returning. The angel of light comes. And he commends Sabbath observers around the earth. Thank you for keeping holy my day. I have never given a divine mandate to change the day. But here, your creator, the one who sustains, the one, your redeemer. I am here now and I have the divine authority and I give a divine mandate now to change the day. Well, what, if you believe that that's all it takes, then what's the objection? Why can't he not do that? That's what Satan's going to do, pretending to be Christ. All he has to do is convince you that he's Christ. And it's okay. Yep, if, hey, we've got a divine mandate now. Let's switch today. Do you, do you find a problem with that? Or is it okay that Christ can do that? <laughs> Hands all over the place, yes. With that word, remember, <laughs> I like the word remember. Yes, we're to remember something. And that does have a bearing uh, because what we're remembering can't be changed. Whatever it is we're remembering cannot be changed by a mandate. Yes. Um, our birthday can be mandated to be a different day, but it still isn't our birthday. Our birthday is our birthday regardless of what you say. So God's birthday was set as far as the birth plan. So you can't change that date. Even if you want to change it, it's still not the right thing. Okay, and then we need to understand why the Sabbath, that, that day, at the end of creation week, in the context, using the metaphor of the birthday being that was the one day you were born, so no other day in history before or after is the day that you were actually born on. This is the one day in which Sabbath was actually created. The one day in universal timeline was not a day before, it was never a day after. It was this one day at this point in universal history that the Sabbath was, was put into existence. What, what about that makes it holy? Yes. The, it, the very nature of freedom itself and, and the statement, or freedom is what the Sabbath is all about because it gives us this day to think and to reflect and to look at evidence and to make our choice, which is completely contrary to a mandate, which would be kind of like a bully, just saying you're going to do it because, which is force. So the Sabbath... The thing about it, in my mind anyway, that makes it really a holy thing is that it's all about freedom and individuality. Oh, I like that very much. I like that very much. And do we see that during creation week? During creation week of this planet, do we see that the Sabbath comes into existence filled with these things? 
What is it that makes, where does all holiness originate? We talked about a moment ago, love originates where? In the heart of God. Where does holiness originate? All holiness originates with God. Are we comfortable with that? All holiness originates from God. When Moses talked to God at the bush, he was told to take the shoes off his feet because... Now what made that bush and that ground holy? God's presence made it holy. We are to be a holy priesthood. What is it that's going to make us holy? It's no longer, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And so when Christ lives in us, we become holy people. Isn't that true? So back to the, the Sabbath. What's happening during creation week? Is this a war? This, this attack in the universal uh, realms of God. Satan alleging that God is arbitrary. God is a mandator of rules. You get this kind of subtle stuff still in our quarterly. Same little allegations. God mandates things and you better obey. Well, we have that on our Sabbath even. So, I mean, it can often be, instead of this wonderful day of freedom, it can be often a And that's my point. This thing that God gave us that I'm hopefully going to help us see what makes it holy and how we can experience that in our life, Satan attacks to invest with just the opposite principles. Just like was said a moment ago that he attacks God's character, investing the character of God with his own perverted character so that we come to see God as a being who looks like Satan. The Sabbath has become for many a day that is not the day of truth presented in love, leaving people free. A day that is invested with the very attributes of God's character himself, but instead becomes a day of authoritarian rule, power, arbitrary test of obedience, a day that you'll be punished if you don't obey, a day that incites fear, a day that incites, incites restrictions and anxiety, rather than a day that opens the heart to love and trust. And this is what happened 2,000 years ago because they worshipped a God who mandates what's holy, rather than a God who creates. And inherently, the day became holy. Became holy, why? Because in the context, what did God do? As the universe was watching, and he gave all this power at creation week, and remember, God has the power to force every knee in the universe to bow. But at the end of creation week, when he is being attacked, when his right to rule is being attacked, instead of using power to coerce intelligent beings into line, he says, I rest my case. Take 24 hours aside. No pressure, no coercion. Think it through for yourself. What does the Sabbath's very existence reveal to us about the kind of being God is? Day one through six, we learn he has power. Day seven, we learn he gives truth that he was giving all week in love and leaves beings free. This is the holiness of the Sabbath. It's invested with the very attributes of God's character. Its existence exists because God is as Jesus revealed him to be. If God was like Satan alleges, there would be no Sabbath. But it's a weekly, so we remember each week, each week we remember the context, what was going on in the war, what God did, that he presents truth, Ephesians chapter 4, presents truth and love, leaves us free to make up our own mind. And thus, true Sabbath observance is more than avoiding work from sunset to sunset, so more to going to worship service on the particular day of the week. True Sabbath observance is only those who've had the new covenant, the law written on the heart, and thus they practice Sabbath by presenting truth in love, leaving people free, which is just the opposite of the beast system, who get the mark of the beast, who use coercive power no one can buy or sell, save him who has the mark of the beast. The beast coerces, torments, tortures, takes away freedoms to buy and sell. 
the Sabbath keepers, whomever they are, present truth and love and lead people free as God has done. And so true Sabbath keeping is about character and how we live our lives, not simply and only about which day of the week you worship. Because you can worship on the right day and avoid work on the right day. And when God comes, you hate him and you kill him and you want him off the cross by sunset so you can keep holy the day of the God you just killed. Can can we boil it down to a couple simple words there? If evil is the opposite of holiness and evil is self-centeredness, then can't holiness be other-centeredness? Just keep it simple like that? Um, I think holiness is... Or is holiness more than just other-centeredness? I think holiness is the combination of all. The three big things of God's character are He's truth. The Holy Spirit is not the spirit of love only. He's the spirit of truth and love, which always operates in an atmosphere of freedom. Yes? I think it becomes really powerful for me with everything that you just said in the context of God created very powerfully and then he gave dominion. He made it very clear. I give you dominion. That meant it's yours. And then he stepped back. He didn't come along and say, now you have dominion and here's what you do. He didn't control their choices, did he? He gave them dominion, which means he let go. And he gave them so much freedom with foreknowledge, think this through, with foreknowledge, he gave them freedom that would cost him his life. Think that through. That's how much freedom he gave us. And then when he was on earth, in John 13, all power was given to him. He got up, off, he got up took off his outer garment, and washed their feet. All power. And then the cross comes with all power at his disposal. How did God wield his power? By controlling those? around him, or by giving us so much freedom that he will even let us kill him. That's how much freedom God gives his creatures. He would rather die than use his power to stop you from killing him. This is all wrapped up in the Sabbath. He created works and he rested. After the cross, and it comes in the lesson somewhere else, after his work of redemption, the first thing Christ did was rest in the Sabbath, uh, rest over the Sabbath. Why? Why was the purpose of that? What would have happened in heaven if after he died, 40 minutes later, 20 minutes later, whatever, a few minutes later, boom, he resurrects and shoots on up to heaven? What would the angelic host and all the intelligence of the universe be doing on the Sabbath day? Rejoicing, having a huge party. Hallelujah, Christ is home. I mean, you think there was time? But with Christ in the grave, what was happening for 24 hours and throughout the whole universe? Thinking. Thinking. Whoa. What just happened? What just happened? What just happened? They were reflecting. They were remembering. They were observing. They were processing. They were coming to see love and what love really means. And all the power of Satan was broken. Remember Christ said, now's the time, now's the time for, the, for the prince of this world to be cast down. I, if I be lifted up, will draw all unto me. Cast out, he said, cast out. Cast out from where? Where was Satan cast out of at the cross? He was cast out of the affections of all the beings in the universe. After the cross, he's restricted to earth. Before the cross, we see he went up to heaven in the book of Job. He was traveling around harassing angels. But after the cross, he's restricted to earth. Not because God has a, a, a retinue of angels surrounding earth and won't let him off. It's because, because God operates in freedom. The cross solidified all the intelligences in the heaven that Satan is a liar and a fraud and Christ is loyal. So now there's not one mind, heart in the entire universe other than planet Earth 
that will give Satan the time of day. Talk to the hand. We're not going to listen to you. I mean, that's the rest of the universe. He's restricted. Because all the beings have been won over to loyalty. Colossians 1, 18-20 says that all things in heaven and in earth were reconciled to Christ at the cross. The heavenly things were benefited by the cross of Christ. So we see this reality, and we see that the Sabbath has this power for us to reveal God's character in creation and then giving his creatures rest, to freedom to think. God's power in redemption and giving his creatures freedom to think. No pressure, no coercion, which is the opposite of the war we're coming to. And why the Sabbath is so powerfully symbolic of the two groups of people in the end. Because in the end, there's going to be two groups of people. There are going to be people who do not love their life so much as to shrink from death, Revelation 12:11. They love others more than themselves, and they won't coerce and pressure and control others and try to force others. They will sacrifice themselves for others. They're Sabbath observers. But there's going to be another group of people who will take the control of the government, take the reins of power, begin to coerce. No one can buy or sell save him who has the mark of the beast. They're represented by a different day. But it's not specifically the day. I can promise you, those who put Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago and worshipped on Sabbath would not get the seal of God. They would get the mark of the beast. Does anybody disagree with that? Do you think that you can keep the right day of the week and crucify Christ and get the seal of God? No. It is about having the law written on the heart and mind that is the thing. Okay. Um, So the other problem with, with this idea that God could change the day with a mandate is that it is another attack, subtle attack on the character of God from a being of love to an authoritarian power monger. This is Satan's goal. When we worship a being who is power, we become like him. Love is damaged and we practice coercive methods. And I mentioned this to you, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But we've got good brain science now that shows that when you worship a God of love, a God is revealed in Jesus, and you meditate on this God, uh, 15, just 15 minutes a day, meditating on the God of love is revealed in Jesus, that you have enhancement of Prefrontal cortex, particularly the anterior cingulate cortex, measurably we can see interconnections growing within four weeks. In the infer- and in the prefrontal cortex, anterior cingulate cortex, this is where you experience love, compassion, empathy, self-governance, um, the ability to, to give of yourself for others, altruism, all experience here. And not only that, as this grows, we get lower blood pressure, lower stress hormone levels, the fear centers of the brain fire less. Conversely, when you worship an authoritarian God, a punitive God, a punishing God, the prefrontal cortex does not grow stronger. It grows weaker. And the fear circuits in the limbic system grow stronger, and you become more irritable, more anxious, more fear-ridden. And I'm telling you, look at the people in Christ's days. Those who put Christ on the cross were not other-centered, loving people. They were fear-ridden people. They were afraid of losing their power, afraid of losing their position, afraid of losing their authority. They were watching out for number one. And we worship a punitive God, a punishing God, an authoritarian God. It actually changes the wiring of our brain. Only 23% of Americans, according to a Baylor University study, worship a benevolent, loving God. 32% worship an authoritarian God. 15% worship a detached and disinterested God. 22% worship a critical God. And 5% are atheists. Only 23%, listen, one in four are actually worshiping God of love. And when it comes down to the end, there are only two, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. Those who know Jesus and know the God of love, and have become like him. This is how we know what love is, that Christ gave his life for us, and we ought to give our lives for each other. Or those who worship that other God and become like him, and will 
torture to get their way. This is out of Desire of Ages, page 22. It says, The earth was dark through the misapprehension of God, that the gloomy shadows might be lightened, that the world might be brought back to God. Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. This could not be done by force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love, and love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love him. His character must be manifest in contrast to the character of Satan. This work only one being in all the universe could do. And then, out of Desire of Ages 466, in the work of redemption, there is no compulsion, no external force is employed. Under the influence of the Spirit of God, men are left free to choose whom he will serve. In, the ch- in this change, in the change that takes place when the soul surrenders to Christ, there is the highest sense of freedom. The expulsion of sin is the act of the soul itself. True, we have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control, but when we desire to be set free from sin, and in our great need cry out for a power out of and above ourselves, the powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit, and they obey the dictates of the will in fulfilling the will of God. Freedom. The Sabbath is all about truth, presented in love, leaving people free. Love cannot be commanded. It cannot be coerced. A couple of thoughts in closing. Thursday's lesson. There's a question asked in Thursday's lesson that I wanted to talk about in closing. And it says this. Now, a simple question. How is it that the one commandment devoted to rest, one commandment that specifically expresses rest, the one commandment that gives us the special opportunity to rest, how has this been turned into the universal new covenant symbol of works? The only commandment that by its nature is all about rest has become, for many, the metaphor of salvation by works. And the quarterly is criticizing non-Adventist Christians who criticize Adventists for for keeping the Sabbath as as being works people rather than uh, people that rest in God's grace and so forth. How has it become this way? Well, the answer is very simple. It's become this way because we have made the Sabbath an arbitrary test of obedience. Uh, Something you must do, something you must obey, something you must observe in order to experience the seal of God. Thus, those who promote the Sabbath as an arbitrary test of obedience are actually destroying the very purpose that the Sabbath was given. And rather than being a blessing that God provides to us to assist us in our development, it becomes a tool that hardens the heart, just like those who kept it in Christ's day. And we're out of time. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are not a God like Satan alleges. You are exactly like Jesus revealed, a God of love, who presents truth and love, leaves us free, that love cannot be commanded, that you just are begging us, pleading with us from heaven to come to get to know you so that we can trust you and be changed by the indwelling of your spirit. Enlighten our minds. May the biases, the distortions, the confused ideas that we've struggled with, may they be removed by the, the truth that you've presented to us in your word. May our hearts be won over. May we leave this place revealing this truth about you in love, that others can see this truth and come to know you as well. We pray in in your holy name. Amen.